Church family, often when we begin travel of various kinds, such as a hike or maybe a walk or even a bike ride, we, especially those who are younger in our midst, might feel full of energy. If we're carrying backpacks, those packs might feel light on our backs. As we look at the trail stretching out in front of us, that trail may seem quite doable. And yet, as often happens, as time begins to go on, the energy we once had begins to drain. And the backpack on our shoulder begins to feel heavy. The trail, the road, feels long. And it can be this way in in many areas of our lives. Children, just recently you began a school year. Today you began catechism. And often when we begin things like this, we are full of energy, full of excitement for this new beginning. And yet, in time, we may grow tired. Or if we are beginning a new job, we might feel excited, full of energy, full of vision for the future. But as time goes on, you may begin to feel less so. Or if you are beginning a family or or your family moves from one stage of life into another stage of life, there might be confidence that we have things under control. And yet as time goes on, We may begin to question that. Often the weight of our responsibilities, the burdens of life, begin to weigh us down. They can leave us feeling tired, worn down. It can be the same way in a difficult friendship or strained marriage or perhaps in business struggles. Maybe in a a temptation we particularly struggle with, maybe a sickness, a handicap, psychological struggle. Whatever our situation might be, our tendency is to grow tired, to grow weary. And often as our strength goes down, our stress levels go up, our our anxieties go up, our fear grows large. And yet, one of the Comforts of Scripture that comes up again and again and again throughout all of Scripture is that we simply are not required to carry these burdens alone. Just like an earthly father will gladly take the backpack off of his tired child, so our Heavenly Father is willing and able to take the burdens off our shoulders if we come to Him in faith. In light of all this, the title for the sermon this afternoon is simply this, Lay Your Burdens Down Here. Lay Your Burdens Down Here. With three points, at the feet of an almighty Father, taken from Hebrews 1, at the feet of an all-giving Father, from Matthew 6, and at the feet of an all-wise Father. Lay your burdens down here at the feet of an almighty Father, the feet of an all-giving Father, and the feet of an all-
wise Father. First, lay your burdens down here at the feet of an almighty Father. Lay your burdens down here at the feet of an almighty Father. Now, all of us know, I think consciously or subconsciously, that the willingness which we might have to place our weight upon something has everything to do with how strong we think that something is. Some months ago at youth camp where I saw a number of of you young people and also some of you older people, I remember seeing a good number of youth jumping into kayaks, jumping into boats of all sort without a second thought and gliding out into depths far beyond what they could handle by themselves. Why? Why did they jump in without a second thought? Because they knew that the boat was able to carry them. Or children, think about this past summer or summers before. How many times have you not jumped from the side of a swimming pool into the arms of your dad or of your mom without a second thought? How could you do that? Because you know, at least in part, you know that they are strong. They can handle you jumping into their arms. And it's very much the same way in how you and I handle the burdens of our lives in relation to God, our Father. How we will cast our burdens onto the Lord has much to do with how strong we think the Lord actually is. Hebrews 1, those first three verses, give us a remarkable picture of something of the strength of God. Please open, if you have your Bibles, please have them open to that passage now. There we read, God, who at sundry times... And in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The first thing we need to notice here is that God the Father through the Son was powerful enough to create absolutely everything that we see in this world and in this universe. And that's an absolutely amazing fact. Sometimes we get so used to it, we hardly notice it. But it's an amazing thing that God created the worlds. Some time ago, I was flying into Calgary with my family, and and the flight had been delayed, so we were coming in somewhat late. And as we began to descend into Calgary, I was thinking about how we were going to handle that two-hour drive home late at night with kids. But as I was worrying over this, I suddenly hear to my right the voice of my son crying out, Whoa! Amazing! Dad, look at this! And I look over to see what he's looking at. And he's watching this plane come from the high altitudes of clear sky down into this large, dark bank of clouds covering the city of Calgary. And he's amazed at this sight. I thought to myself, wow, this is how we all ought to act at the beauty of creation. We ought to be blown away 
by the wonder of this world in which we live. Creation is amazing. Creation is vast. Creation is complex. It's powerful. Even in the 21st century, with the incredible technological advances that we've made, so many things in nature still defy our understanding. And here in southern Alberta, we have a healthy fear also of creation. We understand what can happen in the weather systems. And all of these things are are not designed for us simply to think about ourselves, but to make us look at God and say, God is amazing. God is powerful. God is wonderful. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows forth His handiworks. But I want to take this and make this personal to us here today. You see, if God is powerful enough to create everything in this world, then He was also powerful enough to create each one of us sitting in this room exactly the way we are. Could have made us anything, but He made us exactly as we are. Job confesses this in in Job 10, verses 11 and 12. Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh. Thou hast fenced, or you might say knitted, is another translation of that word, knitted me with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that many of us, or at least some of us, spend a lot of time looking in the mirror, either literally or metaphorically. And as we look in the mirror, we often fear that we don't have what it takes to succeed in life. We think about our failures, we think about our sins, we think about the problems of others in our lives around us, and we think, well, we just can't do it. We just can't do it. But I want to take those feelings that, that we can have and run them for a minute under the lens of this truth concerning God's power, this truth concerning God's creation. First, let's notice that if God could have created us anything he wanted us to be. But he created us precisely as we are. He knitted us precisely as we are, sin accepted. Then he did it for a reason. He did it for a reason. Our gender. If we are a girl or if we are a boy, God did that for a purpose. Our personality if we we tend to be quieter, more introverted, as we like to say, or more extroverted. God created us that way for a purpose. Our looks, if we're more good-looking or not so good-looking, God created us that way for a purpose. Our IQ, if we're brilliant or we're slower, God did that for a purpose. None of it was an accident. He could have made us anything he wanted, but he made each of us exactly as we are. And so instead of questioning all the time and saying, why am I the way I am? Why are things the way they are? And and being filled with discouragement or anxiety, we should instead be asking this question. What is the unique, specific purpose 
that God created me the way I am. God made me on purpose. Okay, why? What is God calling me to? Because of the way he made me. And then secondly, how can God's power, how can God's power shine out in my weakness? How can God's power, as Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 4, shine out of my weakness? So that's the first thing. If God could make us anything he wanted to, but he made us as we are, then we need to view ourselves properly. But then secondly, we also need to confess this, that if God was powerful enough to intricately knit us together in our mother's womb, precisely as we are, then he also has the ability to knit or form in us the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he could knit us physically with our spirits the first time, he can also knit into us, work into us, that image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's particularly the case given what we read at the end of verse 3 in Hebrews 1. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Upholding all things by the word of his power. Now that word upholding has the idea of either bearing up a burden, like you might carry a backpack or something heavy on your shoulders, or it has the idea also of sustaining something as it currently is, keeping something going as it currently is. And the point here in this passage is that not only did God make creation and each one of us, but he also holds everything together at this very second. He is upholding every single thing together in this world, even at this very moment. There is a question asked by scientists. I don't know when the question was first asked, but certainly in the last century it's been asked many times. And that is, what is the glue? What is the glue that holds everything in creation Together, particularly at the molecular level. What is the glue that holds everything together? In the mid-20th century, some scientists theorized that there was a, a subatomic particle that eventually became nicknamed the God particle that was this glue that held everything together. Since then, scientists actually believe they've likely discovered this in research in the large Hadron Collider underneath the French-Swiss border. But as we think about this as Christians, we know something, don't we? We know that behind everything in creation, sticking together, if you will, is, is not a God particle which is subject to our examination and to our manipulation. The thing that is holding everything together is the very word of God. He is upholding all things together by the word of his power. Now that's staggering. That's incredible. That means that the pews and the seats that you are sitting on, the platform I'm standing on, 
the building that's currently surrounding us, the, the land we're on, the, the subatomic plates on which our city, our town is sitting and our country is sitting, every single thing is being held together by the word of God's power. The only reason we don't simply disintegrate and vanish into nothingness is because God holds it together by the word of his power. That's stunning. That's amazing. That's incredible. Are we in awe at this? But there's also an application to our own lives, isn't there? If you're sitting here today and you think, well, my life is falling apart. Remember, there is a God who is, if I can put it this way, in the business of holding things together by the word of his power. You can go to that God in prayer and say, Lord, you you control everything, material and spiritual. Please hold my life together. God can alter circumstances. Sovereignly, supernaturally. He can remove burdens. He can deal with sin problems in our lives. Isaiah 40 puts it this way, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. An all-powerful God. But then this leads us to our second point. And that is that we must lay our burdens down here also at the feet of an all-providing Father. Not just an all-powerful Father, but also an all-providing Father. Ever since the fall, it's been this, this tendency, this bent of man, to look at God as one who is constantly withholding what we need and what we want, rather than a God who is willing to give us whatever we need. And yet, one of the great antidotes to anxiety in the Christian life is to meditate on and to really believe this truth practically on a day-to-day basis that God is actually a willing God, a, a providing God for us in all our needs. Listen again to those verses I read in Matthew chapter 6. And as I, as I read these verses again, I want to ask children those of you who are here, if you can please notice the four main things that Christ promises his Father will provide for his people. The four main things. And for those of us who are older, can we also notice something? Notice what I, what I think is actually a grammatical rarity in the New Testament. And that is three identical commands Three identical commands in these ten verses. So four main things that Christ promises and three identical commands. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, 
For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now children, what did you notice? What were the commands that Christ, or the promises that Christ gave here? You might count perhaps more than four, but there are at least four. Food, Drink, clothing, and the future. Food, drink, clothing, and the future. And what were those, what was that command that Christ gave three times? It was take, take no thought. Take no thought. Or we would better translate it, take no anxious thought. Three times. Now these, these items, food, drink, clothes, and the future are things we can understand. In in some ways, they're simple matters. But let's consider for just a minute how much of our anxiety, how much of our stress would just simply vanish if we obeyed this command of Christ to take no thought. How much of it would simply slip away like a morning fog if we believed and obeyed these words of Christ. If you, you never for another minute had to worry about the, the right kind or the right amount of food or drink, if you, you didn't even have to think for 30 seconds about the kind of clothes that you would buy or the kind of clothes you might wear, or, or you didn't even have to, to spend one hour creasing your brow over your next weeks, your schedule for the next months or years, or, or about your children's lives, What would really be left to worry about if we simply heard and obeyed this command of Christ? And it's worth noting, isn't it, that when Christ gives us these four things, he's not giving us these four things and then saying, but you can worry about everything else. It's not what he's saying. He's using these four things as as a kind of inclusio to include all of life. He's really saying, don't take anxious thought about anything. Don't be anxious about anything in life. And we might hear this and say, well, what kind of person does that? What kind of person simply has no anxious care in the world? Wouldn't they be irresponsible or maybe even a bit off kilter in their view on life? But the exact opposite is true, isn't it? The person who 
takes no anxious care in the world, in a godly way, is the person who is actually most fully in touch with reality. Because they actually see things as they really are because they know God to be who He truly is. Not a God who withholds, but a God who is an all-providing God. And this is an incredibly freeing thing. If we can grasp this, this is an incredibly freeing thing in our lives. It removes those worrying burdens off our hearts, permits us to have joy in life, perhaps it permits us to, to work with expectation, with hope, with optimism. It lets us obey that, that command Christ gave at the close to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But I say this, and I realize that we need to be realistic, don't we? Some of us, especially in the Christian life, are are much more like Martha by nature than we are like Mary. We tend, just by nature, it seems, by personality, to have many more anxious thoughts and concerns about life. And so, for many of us, humanly speaking, this will be a fight for us to the end of our lives, to fight against anxiety, to fight against worry. But what an encouragement, what a comfort that God has, even in this Matthew 6, through Jesus Christ, simply given us permission to take that burden off our hearts, let that load slip from off of our minds, to take no anxious care for the things that might trouble us. Because He is an all-providing God. You see, we don't have what it takes for this life. We never have had what it takes. But God does have what it takes. And He will provide for us. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, the hymn says. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So God is an all-powerful God. He is able to provide what we need. He he is a willing God. He's an all-giving God for our needs. But now we come also to this third point, and that is that God is an all-wise Father. He is an all-wise Father. You see, if God were all-powerful and all-giving, but not all-wise, we would have a lot of trouble in the Christian life. Some of us, or or maybe many of us, know of families in which the parents are very wealthy or or somewhat wealthy, and they're also giving by nature. And, And so they give their kids many things that their kids want, but they lack wisdom in knowing how and what to give. And often when this happens, sadly, these children who grow up in these kind of households grow up with struggles in their lives. They, they haven't learned how to properly deal with life because of this lack of wisdom in their parents. And yet God is not this way at all. God is not this way at all. He, he is a God, a Father who, who knows precisely who we are. He knows exactly what we need. And so He wisely dispenses precisely what we need 
exactly at the right moment of time. And if we know anything about ourselves, if we know how foolish we naturally are in our hearts, this should actually make us rejoice. We, we should have a great amount of peace that God is in control as our Father and not us. If the sun is shining in our life and all seems to be going well, or if the rain is pouring, we should say, Lord, I'm so thankful that I am not in control. Because if I was in control, Lord, I would make it sunshine all the time. And I would become spoiled in my life. I would begin to drift away from God. Thank God He is in control. And yet it's true, isn't it, that although this is how we ought to look upon our Father, often it's this all-wise God, this all-wisdom of God that brings the greatest challenge in life for us. We struggle with the wisdom of God. Sometimes when clouds begin to cover our lives, we almost can't help asking the question, if God is all-powerful and God is all-giving and God is an all-wise Father, then what is this in my life? What is this hardship that I never asked for? This, this hardship that I don't feel equipped for? What is this spiritual or emotional or relational burden that I, I simply don't feel I have the strength to carry? Lord, what is this? And we begin to argue with God in prayer. We don't understand His wisdom. We don't understand His ways. So I want to end our sermon this afternoon by turning us back to that incredible story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50. If anyone had been tempted in Scripture to question God's wisdom in his life, it must have been Joseph. Think about his life for a minute. Children, think about Joseph's life. It appears that from when he was quite a young child, he was already faithfully following the Lord. And yet, this faithful following of the Lord turned into relational tension in his family. And that culminated in him being sold as a slave in a foreign country. Imagine if you were sold as a slave to a country you've never seen, far away from your mother or father. Right in Joseph, right in the prime of his life, when life is just stretching out in front of him, he's sold as a slave. How could this happen? And there God had let him taste troubles of soul, certainly homesickness. He would have struggled with many of the sorrows that the Lord Jesus Christ himself would later experience. But then in God's providence, he's, he's raised up even to a place of honor, a place of prestige in the house of Potiphar. But then he, he is faithful to God, and because of his faithfulness, he's thrown into jail. What is happening in Joseph's life? And there he is for some years, forgotten even by someone he did a great favor for. What is happening in Joseph's life? But then he's taken out of prison, and he's raised, raised to even higher heights of power. And here in, in our text, we See him not only raised to these heights of power, but now everything has, as it were, come together in his life. His father, his long-lost father, has come to him again. Benjamin, 
He's been reunited with him. What a joy. But here, his brothers come to him and they, they fear, don't they? That he's now going to take vengeance on them. They remember what had happened when they had sold him into slavery. But how does Joseph respond? Joseph said unto them, fear not, fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, we really just don't know how many struggles Joseph may have had earlier in his life with the providences of God. We don't know how many dark nights he sat alone asking God why. We don't know how many times he he might have been tempted, even in sinful anger, to shake his fist at the Lord. We don't know, but we do know this. That when all was said and done, Joseph could not but confess the perfect wisdom of God in his imperfect and often troubled life. You see, Joseph is now finally looking at his life in the rearview mirror. He's seeing everything as he ought to see it. And although there were many people in his life who caused him trouble, there were many circumstances that were far from ideal, he now sees that over it all there was a fatherly hat of wisdom quietly overseeing, quietly superintending, turning every evil for good. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. And congregation, this confession of Joseph, this admission of Joseph, provides for us what we might describe as the pinnacle the pinnacle of anxiety-reducing biblical mind renewal. Anxiety-reducing biblical mind renewal. When we can look at our past, when we can look at our present, when we can look at the future, when we can look at the lives and the actions of others around us, And instead of shaking our fist in stress and worry, instead confess that there is this fatherly hand of wisdom superintending, guiding everything. If you look back in church history, you will find that this truth has been a medicine for the soul for so many anxiety-ridden Christians. And so I want to end this sermon today by asking you a question. As you look over the trials and the burdens and the struggles you might have in your life, what good might God see fit to bring out of those troubles? As you think about all the problems you may have in your life, what good might God see fit? to bring out of those troubles? Will God use your current trial? 
to one day bring unspeakable comfort to a hurting friend? Will God use your current burden to one day lift the crushing load of another brother or sister? Will God one day use your spiritual struggle to bring salvation to a lost and a dying soul? As you look at the burdens and the troubles of your life, what good might God see fit to bring out of them? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we are rebellious children who are discontent under the provisions that Thou dost provide. But Lord, teach us even through the story of Joseph, the words of our Savior, and the words of the book of Hebrews to cast all our burdens and our cares upon the Lord, knowing that He careth for us. Forgive our sins, Lord, even of this evening, this afternoon. Go with this church family also into the week to come. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.